sometimes I feel with these things. It's a simple and straightforward message. The challenge is in the application. So Luke chapter 12, we've kind of skipped on a little bit in our readings. Uh, we start, we're in the beginning of chapter 11, and, um, and now we've got this story of what I call the rich and greedy fool. The rich and greedy fool. I, almost, I, I thought about almost entitling this, be careful what you ask for. You know, when you come and ask Jesus questions or ask God, you never know what might come back your way. But generally, I'm a good proponent of asking questions. That's an important thing for about learning about not just other people, but learning about ourselves. Now, the context of this particular episode, Luke's put this, and uh, it really benefit you to read the rest of chapter 11, because actually, he's, he's kind of been having a bit of a go at the Pharisees. He's talking about this kind of the seven woes of the scribes and the Pharisees. And essentially, he's coming against their hypocrisy. They proclaim one thing, all the, on the outside, everything looks great, but on the inside, not such a pretty picture. This is offensive to God, and God sees straight through it. And, and he highlights the dangers of our living like this. We can come on a Sunday, we can, when we meet others, we can have a nice that Sunday smile, everything's going fine, aren't I doing well, and yet our lives, what is the reality? Can we be sincere and genuine? And can we acknowledge him? There's a great danger of not acknowledging the place God wants in our lives. And that's, that's not a once-only decision. In my life, that's been a journey. In fact, I love that song, All My Life You Have Been Faithful. I'm realizing as I'm getting to the upper echelons of the age ranges that uh, it gives us more to look back on. Hopefully, we've got a, a broader and longer testimony of the faithfulness of God and our greater need of him. Anyway, back into the story, back into the episode, somebody pipes up for the crowd, and I want, you know, when we look at these questions, it's good to think about, well, what's behind the question? What's the energy of the question? And I, and I had this title, Be Thoughtful About How You Approach Jesus. Think about what do you bring to him, to God, actually to other people. Because our man here is, more demanding than asking. He's not really inviting Jesus to give him something. He wants Jesus to fix something that he's not happy with. That's not a good spirit to come to God with. He wants his way, not necessarily any other way. We like that, don't we? Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, inheritance was important in that culture. And, um, and in fact, often, you know, a sense of well-being and wealth came through inheritance. In fact, the very land on which the people of Israel lived was a gift of God that was an inheritance. You know, it speaks of Christians being co-heirs. We have an inheritance with Christ. And, um, and, and Israel in a, were living that out in a physical sense because they'd been given a lot of land, even down to the tribes and families. And they were to hold on and pass this on to one another. Debts, debts were meant to be cancelled and a resettling and a reordering balance that everyone would have enough and this would be passed on one generation to another. Now, in the families, God also told us to bless the firstborn with a double inheritance. And who knows, this might have been a, 
second or third or fourth born son, and he's feeling hard done by and aggrieved, probably because of comparison, and he wants more. Now, this is the kind of question you might ask of a rabbi to, to sort and to judge, but Jesus is not your typical rabbi. He's actually the Son of God. And he's looking for more from us. And that's why it's good to think about what do we bring and how do we approach Jesus. Because more than anything, God is looking for a degree of brokenness in us. Of yieldedness. Of what we read about by, from David is a heart of contrition, which is a, a repentant heart. Am I willing to change? Am I open in my mind? Or am I a fixed mindset? Do I realize that there's more to learn? I have not got it all. I have things that I'm blind to. We all have blind spots, and I need both God, His Word, and His people to help me see the light. And more than anything, the foundation of this is, do I bring a will that is yielded to whatever God would invite me to do? Beware the spirit of the age. Entitlement. Selfish taking. Very often fear-based. We believe that we're so afraid that if we don't take what we think is ours, we won't get it. The need to be in control. I spend a lot of time, I've spent a lot of time with people over the last few decades. And you get a sense quite quickly of what people are bringing to the situation and what they carry within themselves. You get a sense quite quickly of a degree of openness a degree of yieldedness and softness in people's spirit versus a harshness, a demandingness, actually a lot of fear that people can carry. And for God to work in our lives, for God to actually mold and shape us more than anything, he needs a heart that is first and foremost yielded to him. So I got married to this wonderful lady here. Um, a little over, well, 14 and a half years ago. And I would have told you 40 and a half years ago that I loved her deeply. But I didn't. I loved her as much as I understood about love in my lostness and in my self-absorption and in my self-reliance. And I knew I wanted to be with her, but I had much to learn about love. I still do. But I've learned a few things. You see, marriage is a great challenge to the ego. Because now it's not all about me. Well, I liked it all being about me. Certainly did then when I was 20. Believe you me, I knew nothing. I actually became a Christian when I was about 25. And um, still learning about that. Which is the same thing. You see, when we make a decision to believe and follow Christ, it's like a decision to get married. We don't know what we're signing up for. <laughs> all I hope that we do know is, it is good and it's worth the adventure and we catch a glimpse of that but you see marriage is a redemptive relationship it's meant to change you not give you everything you think you need and the more that we come at that with a sense of brokenness contrition yieldedness openness the more we reap the reward i haven't done that all my life told you some of my self-reliant, prideful tendencies. Brought that into marriage. I brought my understanding about family and nature of relationship into marriage. God has had to 
paint a new picture. And he continues to paint this. And it is a journey of repentance and faith. Repentance is, man, I thought I understood that. Thought I got that right. Thought I understood that. We had a conversation even this week. And we had actually a bit of conflict. And things stirred up and were kind of bouncing off each other rather than it feeling intimately connected. I think we've, we've worked through that and we've learned something more. We've realized that this never ends. The need to, in brokenness, come and repent. And once more, put my faith and trust in another human being that she wants something good for me as well as for herself. This is the invitation, actually, of God upon our lives. It is a continual process. So how do we approach Jesus? Secondly, we, got to, we better watch out and be on guard. That's his response. In fact, there's a bit of a rebuke comes to the man. Man, who called me to be your arbiter or judge? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I thought it was just one. <laughs> but you see, it finds expression in all sorts of ways, quite subtly. And then he makes this incredible statement, life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Anyone else believe that? <laughs> Anyone live by that? <laughs> you know, that's a lifelong journey because we, as the song says, live in a material world. And we're actually quite materialistic. It's why companies thrive and sell us stuff we don't need. Because we're looking for something that we feel will be provided by this possession. So, that's a reality. Jesus says, be on your guard. In fact, understand, this is a battle. This is how I fight my battles. We are at war, within as well as without, because of desire. It's like fences about, be on guard. Protect yourselves and be willing to go on the offensive. There's a, there's a, there's a story playing out in, uh, in, the, in the Midlands, in England, in, in Derbyshire. Actually, just a few miles from where we lived for about six and a half years where a dam is potential, there's been so much rain and flooding there, a dam could break and they've had to evacuate a whole village, about a thousand people, because of the danger of being swept away, destroyed, everything taken. And people are upset about it. They haven't had a chance to go back and get some of their things, or hadn't had. And who knows what the future will bring. And yet, if I don't listen to that and act, I could actually lose it all. And so they do that. They change their lives. They sacrifice. They walk away from everything that means something to them. And this is part of this is this is the nature of the battle we're in. Some of the things that have become significant to us, we have to be careful. Jesus has talked about the leaven of the Pharisees. This leaven that affects the whole batch, you know, like like it's yeast that grows and expands. Well, that is what this hypocrisy, this selfishness, this self-centeredness, this greed can do. This is not the prerogative of the wealthy, by the way, because it's not about the dollar amount. It's about the attitude and condition of the heart. After we've given, even as well as before we've given, and we can be obsessed by greed when we have nothing as we can be when we feel we have everything. All humans are subject to this. And so the invitation is 
We've got to actually expand our thinking. That's what repentance is. And we've got to set our mind on a greater reality than just amassing and gathering. Set your minds on things above, Paul writes. In Colossians we read, where your life is hidden with God in Christ. Realize that actually your real life and your future and your destiny is wrapped up in this bigger thing called the very life and essence of God. And he has your future held for you, certain and secure. But for you to live and appropriate that and to live with the, the blessing of that, you've actually got to put some other things to death. And he goes on to talk about that. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. The flood is coming because of these. The dam will break. All will be lost. And all of those things, we might think, oh, are they all the same? Are they all as bad as each other? Because we tend to make some of them worse than others. No. Greed is right in there. With sexual immorality, with lust, with evil desires, impurity. These things work in tandem within our lives and with one another. They're tied to that commandment not to covet. Not to look at your neighbor, look at another and think, my life is incomplete, I need that. I am dissatisfied. I am discontent. I came across this quote, which, which was written by an essayist who was critiquing, in the first century, the wealthy. For his ailment is not poverty, but insatiability and avarice. That's Greek arising from the presence in him of a false and unreflecting judgment. That's foolishness. And unless someone removes this, like a tapeworm from his mind, he will never cease to need superfluities. Things that are superfluous. That is, to want what he does not need. If ever there was an indictment of our 21st century culture, would it not be this? Nothing new under the sun. Solomon might write in his meaningless. It's a bit depressing, wasn't it? There's a man who had everything. Wealth unimaginable. Women, well, 800 wives, drive you crazy. That's a lot of women to keep satisfied in all sorts of ways. But you see, that's the trouble. We lose our minds. We lose a sense of perspective. We absorb so much and we don't realize where it takes us. Put to death. What does it mean to put to death? How do things die? Sorry? Starving them. Stop feeding them. Stop giving them value, time, energy, money, whatever it may be. Cut it off. Why Jesus says, you know, if your hand causes sin, cut it off. He wasn't speaking literally but he was speaking about the nature of the struggle and the battle. This is so important. Greed will rob us of life. It will take life from us. It will bring judgment, the, the scriptures say. Now, we, we stop feeding that, but we've got to feed something else. It's not a just don't walk in the flesh. It's a walk in the spirit. Live this new life. Orient yourself around. And as we read, choose to be rich, 
towards God. And I'm inviting you to think about what does it mean to, be, to choose to be rich towards God? As Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon, material things, money, wealth. You cannot serve both of them. And we're challenged in this, especially in our wealthy culture. You may not feel you're wealthy, but across the world, we're extremely wealthy. We have privilege and comfort that others might dream of. We choose to be rich towards God by being thankful for what we have. This is why we're going to gather around a table and celebrate Eucharist. We're, we're going to give thanks for God's indescribable, indescribable gift to us. And we're rich towards God by giving away, loosing ourselves from, blessing others. Paul says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, that is a different orientation towards the man who says, what shall I do? I'll build bigger barns. I'll store my crops. I'll take it easy. I'll make decisions for myself. I'll live for myself. I, I, I. There's no generosity, there's no yieldedness. The old saying, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on your can. And this is the prevailing philosophy in which we live. There's little concern for God, or the needs around. There's actually increasing fear and polarizing of people and dispute, and fighting. Terrible, terrible last 24 hours. First in El Paso, which is in Texas, but it's about 600 miles from where I used to live, but I know people there. 20 people shot and killed by a 21-year-old. We're a part of this, all of us. And then in Dayton, Ohio, Another nine people killed. We need to be broken over this. We've left God out of the equation. We've been idolatrous towards the, the principles of individualism and materialism. They define life for many. And, and it's hard for us to be totally free from them. To, to truly trust in a God, which is what Jesus is trying to teach through this gospel, in a God who is there for us, promises all that we need, but invites us to live in daily dependence. That is so hard for us. A God who wants us to wake up and invite him to guide us through the day. That is so hard for us. It's, been, it's a journey I'm on, you know, from marrying at 20 to becoming a Christian at 25. And, and I think particularly in the area of money, because I didn't really grow up in a family where we had an awful lot. There, was, you know, there were meals on a table, but money was tight. And uh, I left home at 19, so I moved to the other side of the country to make twice as much as I was making while I was working for central London. There was a drive in me. That was a priority. And I was willing to give up a lot. I didn't realize that at the time. I left family. I left community. I left the people. But you see, I... I didn't feel a connection to that. 
And uh, God actually blessed me in my career. In fact, I left in, in my early 30s. Probably hadn't earned since then as much as I was earning then. And it's almost like God's taken me to places where things become comfortable and, and then I give them up. And I've looked back and I've probably done that three or four times. And I think it's part of God working something into me. Creates some stress and challenge for us as family. But you see, he's committed to our sanctification, our becoming like him, our resting in him. He'll never give up on that. This is a good journey to be on, but it costs us everything. The other thing we're challenged by is the notion of private ownership. It defines our, our kind of capitalist, Western philosophy about the nature of life and economy. And that wasn't the first century. It wasn't much of, church, of world history for that matter. still isn't for many people around the world today. But we've got to take this, this, this teaching of Jesus and this expression of the life that comes to the early church where people gave everything that they had. They held nothing as personal possessions. They shared everything. They had all things in common, Luke writes. And they sold whatever they did have and gave it to the apostles so that those without could have enough. And they trusted God to provide. And it's really hard for us to reconcile that with. Pension plans, insurance policies, savings accounts, and the like. I don't have answers for you. I'm the Holy Spirit is the one who guides you. But there's an invitation to live differently, to be not consumed by these things, and to be concerned about these things. This quote from John Ortberg I put on the front of our service sheet. Being rich towards God means growing a soul that is increasingly healthy and good. That's to do with your mind, your heart, and your will. Am I growing that? Am I becoming free in order to respond and love and to give and react and act well? Am I love? He says, loving and enjoying the people around you. Do I seek to enjoy and bless people in my life, be them family or others in my community? Learning about your gifts and passions and doing good work to improve the world. This is our ministry. This is our service. God has gifted us to make a difference in the community and potentially in the world we inhabit as a reflection of his goodness and his ministry to us. And then finally he says, becoming generous with your stuff. Becoming generous with your stuff. Holding loosely. Because I have one who has promised me all that I need. Daily dependence. Give us this day our daily bread. Got our stuff in the freezer, Lord. That's a tension. That's a reality. And there is an invitation to, to give ourselves to rhythms of almost worldly foolishness to embrace and to live into the life of God. That's our story for today.